Hey everyone, welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour Lando Lakers Crossover Edition. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It was ring night. Ring night at Staples Center. The Lakers versus the Clippers. And Andy, uh, the, the Lakers following the championship formula from last year to a T. Lose the opener to the Clippers. And then presumably go win another title. Well, the, the the opportunity is still there, if nothing else. We we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, uh, as every coach will tell you, because they love this cliche, it's one game at a time. Right. It's, in, Andy, as the old expression in the NBA goes, it's just one of 72. Yes, indeed. Uh, they've been saying that for eons. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the Lakers end up losing um, 116-109. They've been down by 22 and fought their way back into it. Um, they They really just got off to a dreadful start. But you know, picked it picked it back up again. There were some bright spots. There were some things that you know. Again, keeping in mind one game in and nothing necessarily means anything of permanence. I don't know about that. But there are some things that you look at and go, "All right, that's going to need some fixing. That's going to need some tweaking." But you know, they got seventy more, seventy one more to do it. Um, all right. So uh, as always, every Land Lakers podcast brought to you by the folks at uh, betonline.ag. Uh, the NBA, Andy, and college basketball are back. I knew the first part. I wasn't so aware of the second part, but it's good to know. The NFL, college football playoffs right around the corner with all these sports going on, plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship, it's okay still, even after tonight. Uh, or someone to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, go to betonline.ag from point spreads and totals to team player uh, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always also the online casino. Never closes. Head online to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Land of Lakers podcast also brought to you by the folks at Delicious Pizza. Two locations, West Adams uh, and up on Sunset in Hollywood. Tell them the Cam Brothers sent you. Get yourself 20% off your pizza um, you're supporting local business you are supporting a huge lakers fan uh in the owners of delicious pizza and of course uh again that's uh carry out or delivery cam brothers get yourself 20 percent off so andy like you say um 116 109 final score the clippers win big nights both from Kawhi leonard and particularly paul george who i think came into this one a little bit of a chip on his surgically repaired shoulders 13 of 18 33 points for paul george so we'll talk about him talk about Kawhi uh, as the show goes on the lakers did not get nearly as much from their stars 22 from lebron 18 from anthony davis but i actually i kind of want to start with the ring ceremony because this was really cool. Like, yeah. remember in the draft we talked about it, like the NFL draft, the NBA draft? Like, why don't they do more of this at home where people are surrounded by their families? You can see how deeply meaningful it is for you know these people to to be with the people who brought them to this place. I kind of I spent the entire ring ceremony going, why haven't families been giving their their players rings since the dawn of time? It was awesome well i mean there a lot of things the explanation is because that's the way we've always done it in terms yeah. of you always have david stern or adam silver be the guy who just does the laundry line procession of giving each person their individual ring and while it's certainly nice for the players involved and it's a little bit different if you've got a full arena of people sure. sharing again and, and on all these things but some like the, the the principle like just what they did tonight and if you missed it uh the lakers started off first by having assistants and you know team staff given their you know presented virtually their rings by uh people at ucla ucla health frontline workers uh in the covid fight um which was a really cool touch and then i mean honestly Andy, you could tell the players in, and coaches didn't know because at least it seemed that way because frank vogel it, I mean, he looked like Terry. Like I was Terry watching Frank Vogel get his ring presented to him virtually by his daughters and his wife. It was really cool. Yeah, I mean, and it the, went on from there. Look, there's no more mo emotional connection than you can have for any of these guys, or even the the assistant coaches who didn't get their rings from family, but got them from first uh, from frontline workers during the pandemic. I mean. There was an acknowledgement of, and I thought this was really smart by the Lakers, there was an acknowledgement of, yeah, 
This is different. It's not normal. So you know what? Let's really lean into it and embrace what's different about it and then try to figure out, okay, what makes it different? The pandemic. Okay, we're going to acknowledge the pandemic in the way that we hand out some of these rings. What else is different? Everybody, these players don't have their family and friends with or their family with them and their children with them to see this historic night for them in their careers. All right, let's find out the best way to do it from there. And I, I this is just a reminder that when it comes to big events, whether it's something like tonight with the ring ceremony or frankly, something really tragic like honoring Kobe the way they did at the beginning of the year after his passing, the Lakers are just really, really good at this sort of stuff. Yep. They they really understand they it better than anybody. And it's yeah. not, you know, and, and it's, I saw, you know, obviously they know how to put on a, uh, a ring ceremony they've got a lot of practice uh but it's not just that it's it's every kind of of significant event and you know i i it's we we talked about it on the last podcast when we were talking about kuzma um you know and the the attraction that team that it, it is for around the league for a team like the lakers they say oh yeah we, we take care of our guys rob palenka pointed it out in the press release you know he's one of the guys that we grew from you know and developed from you know we drafted him and and we're we're investing in him i'm not going to sit here and pretend that the money stuff doesn't matter more i'm not stupid and i'm not naive stuff like this also matters like when you talk about what attracts teams to the lakers if you're a player who wants to go win a title and things like you can picture yourself in one of these lakers moments lakers ceremonies like like you know that if you end up in a big moment like that it's going to be done by your organization in the best way possible and that is i think an underrated part well okay what attracts team uh, what attracts players or can attract players to the league. i was going to say can attract them assuming you're good and the reason i bring this up is because you know in the earlier you know the earlier part of the past decade or you know the the mid uh, 2000 15, you know, sort of that period, the Lakers were counting on exceptionalism and the, you know, that, that sort of, I'm glad you brought this up. They were counting on that sort of pageantry and that sort of spectacle to paper over the fact that they weren't very good. They weren't very well run and they weren't making good decisions as an organization. And just that the Laker brand would ultimately win out. And the Lakers learn the hard way. No, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. If other teams around the league are better, Lakers history and being in LA is not automatically going to bring players there. I mean, they, you know, it happened, it happened to not entirely, but in part be the case for LeBron. But that also happens to be a very specific part of LeBron's career, you know, towards the end where he's thinking about what comes next. But once you are great, if you are great again, like the Lakers are right now, and if you are very well run, like the Lakers are right now, that's like the best form of exceptionalism that can be the cherry on the top when it it's, comes to the Lakers. Here's the thing, though, but that's it's born in competence. Like, I we got a tweet this morning from some guy who was super snarky, and I, I'm not even going to bother going back and finding it because it would take too long to scroll through it. But he talked about, oh, when are you guys going to write another thing about Lakers exceptionalism or the death of Lakers exceptionalism? And I tweeted back because we both wrote about that a lot over the course of you know, the really, really lean and shitty years. And then as they were sort of trying to get their way back and all this stuff, we talked a lot about Lakers exceptionalism and this concept and what it is and whatever. And all I tweeted back to this guy was, you know, the meme from the princess bride, which is, you know, you keep saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it means because Lakers exceptionalism, like you said, Andy, was, was this thing that was created as if the Lakers were magical like were like like they had there was something inherent about lakerness that just made them like god ordained it that they would always be good and that wonderful thing and thing would have lakers exceptionalism was built in hyper competence that's why they were always good they got lucky at times all teams get lucky you know here and there how do you take advantage of it the Lakers were always hyper competent. Then they became hyper incompetent. And you know what that they are again, they are hyper competent again. 
Rob Palenka has done a very good job over the last couple of years. He has proved people like me who questioned how good he might be at this job. He is currently in the process of, of proving that my doubts and people like that weren't fair or well, maybe weren't fair, weren't um, accurate or whatever the right word is. Like he's, he's grown past those things and they're competently run. And tonight what you saw was an example of competence. And this is what I, that's why they're exceptional again. This is what I would say for people, for Laker fans who need an example, like more of an outside looking in example of what we were talking about a lot during that period, the Knicks, in terms of counting on that Knicks exceptionalism, the garden, it's New York, the legends, you know, the history that automatically would attract free agents, would automatically get you big ticket players. And it's been obvious for a few decades. No, that's right. not how it works. Right down to, by the way, the incompetence with James Dolan. And I say that only because there were recent periods where you questioned ownership with the Lakers, you questioned the front office decisions, all of that sort of stuff. The Knicks are a really good example now of what we were talking about then. So like for people to really understand why we were preaching the idea of you cannot count on this sort of stuff unless you're good. Now, if you're the Lakers and you happen to be great, again, this can be one mother effer of a tiebreaker when it comes to bringing in players. The idea of, okay, they're great and they're the Lakers, that can get you some big players. Absolutely. But you got to be good first. You know, the the laundry is not going to, the laundry won't cut it just by itself. And so, you know, and, and we're getting, I realize this is a, a strange thing perhaps to talk about um, on, on opening night after the Lakers lose, um, but it's important. And, and I, I rolled my eyes a lot at this thing because it's, it's just, it, 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 like that kind of thing or like, Oh, Lakers, like if you, if you don't understand why the Lakers were good and I think the Lakers lost touch with that, then you can't get good again. And as we make fun of Rob and all that for talking about like rolling up their sleeves and doing the work and this and that and whatever. And yeah, some things are kind of laid out to you. LeBron wanted to come play in LA. All the Lakers had to do really was clear the runway. You know, AD wanted to come play in LA. Lakers had to clear the runway by trading a bunch of stuff and making a pie. You still got to do all the other things. And um, they have. And nights like tonight remind you of what is possible when they do. I think your point is like you have to be good first is is really well stated. But when you are, you get nights like tonight. I just I I was so impressed yeah. by by how they handled this. And like I said, genuinely moved by by the my reaction to it, by the players' reactions to it. It was really cool. Yeah, it was funny looking up, for example, I remember like Quinn Cook. And this was really funny to me, just and it speaks to the moment all of these guys were experiencing. Quinn Cook looked jaw-dropped watching his mom and sister, even though by this point, he's got to figure, okay, my family member's coming up. Like somebody from my family, likely right. my mom and my sister, is going to be virtually presenting me this ring because I just saw it happen with somebody else. But I, I think you still don't even quite know what it's going to be until you actually experience it. Also, my favorite part of the whole thing, maybe, in terms of just relatable humanizing moments, even for somebody like LeBron, his three kids sitting there like, Jesus, do we have to do this? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it was oh. supposed to be taco Tuesday and now we get like, it. It's like, fine. Dad we, won another ring. Dad's yeah. incredible. He's amazing. We get it. Can I go, I've, can I go back to playing Roblox? Yeah. Look at I've seen the dailies for space jam and I am unimpressed. Uh, yeah. Like all of that, like yeah, yeah. It, it was LeBron's just, children being reasonably unimpressed by LeBron. Yeah, the the it's middle like, child, I think his name is Bryce. He mm -hmm. looked so damn bored, and it was hilarious. But like, if you're LeBron, I mean, I, I obviously you want your kids to be proud. We all want our kids to be proud of us, and you know, on one level or another. Like when Jared Dudley's, you know, sons, like you inspire me to do great things, and I'm like, you know, you know, what are these? salty things coming out of my eyes um but like at the same time lebron's got to be like that that means i'm just dad like i'm not this thing that's larger than life that's like you know what i'm dad and so i would think that he would think that was pretty cool 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd ask him, but we're doing this. And he, you know, so instead of media, it, it actually reminded me of I, a couple of years ago, my daughter in school, they had to do some project where the teacher asked them to name their favorite celebrity. And when I picked her up from school, she told me about it. And she said, I said, you daddy. I was like, oh, wow, that that's that's really sweet of you. That That's really great. And she's like, well, not really a celebrity, but somebody's on TV every now and then. I'm like, yeah, okay, good you're, talk. You're okay, yeah, still, we, we could we we don't have left it there. Yeah. Right, uh, thank you. That's enough. Um, <laughs> like every once in a while, I'll be like, hey, look, daddy's on TV. Like if there's a repeat of Spectrum, she's like, okay. oh, my kids, my kids Whatever. so don't give a shit. Nope. They could not, not be any more indifferent um, to the, the random television appearances that I make. They don't, I mean, they don't care. The one time Grace snuck on camera that they wanted to see the, the baby, the, 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 the little one. Um, but the other, no, they don't care. Um, all right. So that's, that's that. So kudos to the Lakers for doing a great job with the, the ceremony part. The Lakers themselves did a less good job with the game part of it. Um, where do you want to start with this? Because, you know, there are, it's, there are a lot of things and you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and you don't want to jump to conclusions. And again, reminder, the Lakers lost the opener and I think lost two more games in the next like 27 that they played last year. Um, but I will say this. I, I think you know, we, we had a sort of a mini debate um, over the weekend with Kelvin, I think, about how much adjustment time this season was going to need relative to last season, how... My one of my big takeaways for this, you know, Frank Vogel said before the game that that he felt the team was mentally ready to go out and play and not necessarily physically ready. Um, I, I think that it, that may be true. I also just think they don't know enough yet. You know, there are enough big differences between last year and this year. Take Marcus all swapping out for JaVale and um, Dwight, Dwight that. It's just gonna, I think it's gonna take a minute. It's just it's different enough this year that I think it's gonna take a minute. Schroeder in the starting lineup is a different deal than um than Avery Bradley. It's like it's just I think it's gonna take a, a few games to kind of get it. They're gonna win most of them. It's just gonna be different. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's always, I think, a little bit difficult to gauge a, a team's performance on ring night if they're the ones getting the rings. Correct. Just because th- that even for veteran teams, even for teams that are you know, going for a three-peat. We, we watch this with the Lakers. It's it's a difficult night to focus. You know, it's everything. That ring, like that right. ring was a honking ring. Right. Well, you got you got this just enormous piece of jewelry that takes up like half your fist, even if I, you're an NBA player. I don't know don't why they, they should have taken them off before the game started, though. Like, you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. play with them on, as pretty as they are. No, I mean, you really want to just show the Clippers what they don't have. That's the best way to do it. Exactly. Right. But, I mean... I, that's always a, that's always considered a difficult night for the the rewarded team to play. So I'm keeping that in mind a little bit. I, for sure. Well, we'll see. I think some of this has to do with the actual lineups that they that they go with stuff like that. But I'm not as concerned about the actual gelling in part just because they they looked pretty good in the mm-hmm. preseason and played pretty well on balance. So right, I, but they also weren't playing with any. And again, it's I I I I'm not even trying to like like quibble with your word. I'm not even concerned. It's not, I don't even I consider it a concern. Like I'm not, no. I'm not even slightly concerned about it. No, I understand I that. I'm, it's one of these things that as we talk about this season, it's just going to be a thing. It's just going to be well, a reality. Okay. Uh, you, you brought this up in terms of the difference being uh, one of the differences being Avery Bradley functionally in the starting lineup. I mean, uh, Dennis Schroeder start functionally in the starting lineup right, for Bradley. For, sure. For Avery Bradley. Cause they're very different players. Um, Dennis Schroeder is obviously much more of an offensive force, obviously has the ball in his hands, more and more high usage. He had a terrific debut. Mm-hmm. He played really well, 14 points, uh, 12 rebounds, eight assists, um, really, really active. Um, didn't shoot really well from the field, but by and large, I thought he played really well. I also still maintain, I don't think he should be starting. And I think eventually that's where this is going to head because I just think he has more utility, like more direct utility in that second unit. He and Montrez Harrell are already playing really well together, and I would want to try to maximize as many minutes possible. They did look good. They did look good together. With them together. And I just – there was an interesting thing I noticed tonight that in terms of, I guess, maybe things that will have to be adjusted, 
LeBron went out tonight. He checked out, I believe it was 537 in the first quarter, mm -hmm. which is almost to the exact number of when he would check out last season, mm -hmm. you know, in the first quarter. And then he came back in with about two minutes left in the first quarter, which is exactly how they did it last season. And I guess maybe that does speak a little bit to sort of just figuring out the things that need to be done differently this season or the adjustments that need to be made. But that, to me, felt a bit of a microcosm of things that could be different if you just played Schroeder off the bench. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it could. And I, I, I get less concerned about you know, starting this night, I guess I do think what you're getting at, which is basically how do you, how do you maximize the combinations that you want the most? I mean, I think that starts with Gasol, who is in foul trouble. Yes. Um, and this was not a, you know, not in a great matchup either with, you know, Serge Ibaka starting for, um, for the Clippers as opposed to Avica Zubats. Um, you know, it's just, he's a much more of a, you know, you're making Gasol move out on the perimeter a lot more. Ibaka got off to a good start and all this other stuff. Uh, not a great debut. The other two guys had a really nice debut. Gasol, not so much. Um, but, you know, the, the the first guy off the bench was was Harrell. And, you know, so you immediately got to start to see that work together. And I think, you know, the the, the question becomes, like, how do you make that work the best? You know, does it work best with Anthony Davis on the floor? Does it work better with LeBron? Because you got to figure out how to stagger those guys. You know, I think... Part of the idea is you keep Davis out on the floor for the rest of that first quarter with Harrell and Schroeder, um, or most of the rest of the first quarter, so that you can kind of cover up for any defensive stuff going on. I, 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 but all of this is stuff that's going to need to be sorted out. Like they, you know, and, and they didn't really have a real training camp to do it. They didn't really have a preseason to 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 truly investigate and dive into rotations because. Even when LeBron and AD played, the other guys didn't. So I, that's what I'm getting at when I say it's going to take 10 games, 12 games, 15, 20 to kind of land on the combinations that they need. And, you know, if you throw out the first quarter where they were down by 20, and I agree with you, the ring ceremony plays a lot into that. You know, most nights they're going to win playing like exactly like they did tonight. Most teams they will beat playing like they did tonight. They shot the ball horribly early. Um, you know, turn the ball over too much. And, you know, but as the game went on, they got better. Well, I mean, the, you look at the way they got back into this game and the Clippers are a really good team as much as, you know, they become really fashionable dunk on, particularly among Laker fans. They're really good. And despite the just god awful start the Lakers got off to, the Clippers couldn't bury them. And the Lakers mm -hmm. got back into it relatively quickly despite just, again, getting off to a horrible start. To, so to your point, if they can do that against the Clippers, against most teams in the league, they're not just going to get back yeah. into it. Yeah. They're going to overtake them. They're eventually oh. going to just take complete control of the game. A fired-up Clippers team. like oh, they, yeah. These guys, you know, rightly came out, I, I think, looking to prove a lot. I mean, to say the least. You know, and we'll get to what Paul George said after the game, and uh, I'm still looking for it. If, if anybody happens to see it on social, um, the Paul George interview uh, with the uh, TNT guys after the game, which was wildly awkward, um, send it along because we'll play it. And it was a lot. It was a lot of fun and brings up a lot of the Paul George talking points. But from a basketball standpoint, George was awesome, awesome. Yeah. On uh, on Tuesday, and you know, thirty again, thirty three points, thirteen of eighteen from the floor, six rebounds, three assists, um, turned the ball over five times, but whatever. Uh, plus seventeen, he was just he was really good, and it is a reminder that as much as we like to you know make fun of him and his playoff performances and some of the stuff he says and all that, he is really good, yeah. and sometimes with guys like that, it can overshadow. You know, it happened a little bit, I think, with Chris Paul, um, where like, you know, he's never made a finals. He can't get out of the, the he can't get to the conference finals. Can't, but oh, by the way, Chris Paul's like one of the greatest point guards that ever played, and he reminded people last year. And so, you know, Paul George reminded people tonight of how good he is or can be. Uh, and unfortunately for the Lakers, they were on the wrong side of it. Yeah, it's also a reminder too. Um, Teams that are built like the Clippers that have a lot of wings, particularly ones as good as Kawhi and Paul George, 
If you look at relative weaknesses for the Lakers, because you and I both consider them the favorites to win this season, we both think that they did a good job this offseason in terms of making their roster better than it was last year. For sure. They still don't have a ton of guys to throw at the likes of Kawhi or Paul George that aren't LeBron or AD. Right. Not at the because, same time. Right, yeah. not at the same time. And and also, too, like at, at this juncture of the season where you want to be sparing with you know both of their minutes you want to make sure that you're not overtaxing ad and especially lebron from the beginning you know west matthews is a legitimately good defender he also got ragdolled a lot by Kawhi leonard granted a lot of players in the league get ragdolled against Kawhi. he's just brutal. well you remember what happened in the opener last year right, with kcp exactly Right. And, and, you know, KCP isn't necessarily built for something like that. Paul George, even, you know, KCP, even against somebody like Paul George, Paul George has a little more size on him, stronger, a little bit longer than him. So it is still, I think, a relative weakness for the Lakers and, and something that could be exacerbated at times when they're going up against the Clippers. I mean, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. see how it plays out over the course of a season. You know, it's nothing I think that you necessarily have to panic over because the Lakers still have plenty of advantages that they can exploit against the Clippers. But Paul George going off tonight is a reminder of something like that. Yeah. And, and I think the, you know, you, you factor that in with, you know, the, just the point of attack defense was a little different. I think, you know, guys who were here last year are used to a different kind of rim protection. Gasol is a good rim protector, statistically speaking, but he's not the kind of rim protector that Dwight was, that JaVale was where like there's that shot blocking presence. Well, I mean, especially if he's not on the floor. He only played 12 minutes. 12 minutes, minutes right. Miles. But even, but like, but you could see it at the beginning of the game. But when he leaves, it's, it's, it's Harold yeah. or AD, you know, if they're, if they're going a little bit small, they're like the Lakers have significantly less shot blocking this year. Yeah. Like, they blocked a bleep ton of, of shots last year. Um, and this year they don't. And like, the, you know, there are going to have to be adjustments made in, where the Lakers funnel players and how they attack. Like, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, pretend I can break down and, you know, all the defense and how they're going to, but it's, they're going to have to make adjustments because the personnel is different. And, um, you know, they, they, they clearly traded some defensive dominance for a better offensive team. Um, I don't necessarily think they traded a ton of it because I think Danny Green and Wes Matthews, when it's all said and done, will be very similar. Um, you know, Green statistically was a very important part of that defense, um, but I think I think Matthews can do that. And I think Green probably would continue to slip in in some significant ways this year. But it, you know, they they traded it. They're not as good up the middle as they were last year. You know, Schroeder's not a terrible defender anymore, but he's not great. He's, you know, he doesn't do as many things as Avery Bradley does. And it's just, you know, they're, they're going to have to figure some stuff out that's different. And AD is probably going to have to be a little bit different this year and a little bit more, you know, defensive player of the year. Like we talked about with Michael Pina last night, um, that that's going to need to happen. He's going to have to be that guy. Yeah, he, he will. I mean, all of these all of these guys, and it's going to be interesting in this period of the season. Just when you know Frank Vogel talked after the game about how he, I'm reading a, a tweet from Harrison Fagan, who covers the team for Silver Screen and Roll, are going to have to be conservative with their minutes early on this season. We have mm -hmm. the depth to do it on LeBron, who played 28, AD 31. So if AD is the best equipped guy to do that, and I don't think anybody would disagree. But you're also looking to keep his minutes relatively low because you're thinking about the big picture, which again, I don't think anybody would disagree with either. Then it's going to have to come from somewhere else, or you're going to have to be trying to come up with some type of different strategy that doesn't necessarily involve funneling the way, you know, the Lakers did a ton of that last season, but that's because they always had. Well, you knew you had Dwight there. Yeah. Well, I was going to say they always had at minimum one, one seven footer out there. Or you know somebody who functioned like a seven footer, mm -hmm. if not two, so you you could get away with a lot more funneling at all times. Th they're going to have to switch some things up a little bit, and you know, and probably over the course of the season, as you start really ramping it up, they'll have to compensate for that less and less. Yeah, look, I mean, if, if you kind of look at the box score, it's like it's not like the Lakers got lit up. You know, one hundred sixteen points looks like a lot, but. The Clippers shot 47% from the floor, and that includes a first quarter where they kind of didn't miss. Um, 
and you know and got a Ka- lot off turnovers. Right, Kawhi was was t- ten of twenty six, so they defended him well overall. And you know, George beat him. Zubats going four or five is 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 a factor there, and and all these other things. And the Lakers, like you said, they turned the ball over. Granted, you know, the Clippers turned the ball over a lot too, but the Lakers turned the ball over twenty times to- or nineteen times. That doesn't help. Um, they didn't make a lot of shots. They gave the Clippers a lot of opportunities to kind of get out and a very energized Clippers team early in the game, a lot of opportunities to get out and run because they kept missing. Um, and they missed open shots, like good, clean, open looks. They just missed them. I think they started like two, two or three of 15 or something from three-point range. You, you know, those are not things that you can do against good teams and expect to come back and win. Um and you know, so I, 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 it was. This is not. This is this game was hardly a disaster. No, um, where like you look at it and go, oh shit! Like I didn't like what I saw there. It's just you know, a, a bad first quarter that they couldn't quite come back from. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at, I, you, you mentioned the outside shooting and how di- how much they struggled in the beginning to to make those shots. If you look at some of the guys that were are supposed to be their outside shooters this season. Like they were hoping that Dennis Schroeder could maintain what he did last season, which was a career best from behind the arc. Mm-hmm. He was two of five. That's good. Yep, first, um, but anyway, his first make was a catch and shoot. Right. Which and, is one of the things they're counting on. And, you know, LeBron had a couple going in the, in the second half. But then you look at, say, you know, KCP's KCP. I, I think last season cemented what he's capable of doing. But like Kuz, one for three. Wes Matthews, who's supposed to be doing that, missed both of his tries. Alex Caruso, I, I will say, as somebody who thought that the small sample size theater of his last season uh, as a two-way player could translate to some hot shooting, I'm starting to grow concerned that that was more exception than the rule. I kind of like the mm-hmm. way we've talked about Kuzma, his rookie year, versus what we've seen from there. Because Caruso, frankly, misses a lot of open shots. He misses a lot yeah. of open outside shots. And, you know, it doesn't take away from his utility as a player because he is just a really, really good defensive player. He's very smart on the floor. I think he will continue to be trusted by Frank Vogel, particularly in closing moments of tight games. But I am growing a bit concerned about the idea that just in a perfect world, Caruso becomes like a a three a three and D guard, essentially. And that end of it just has not been consistently surfacing for him. You know, I recognize it's one game. No, but he, but there's no, there's not evidence yet. Yeah, there's not yeah. evidence yet that he's a great shooter. Or even no. a, a particularly, you know, good one. No. And, you know, if he's not going to be that, then he needs to start aggressively looking to drive more. He needs to start using that, you know, sneaky athleticism to to try to get towards the rim more to, you know, to try to he well, as a white guy, that's something we rely on. Oh well, I mean, we're allowed to say it. Um, but what <laughs> what you don't want to have happen though with, with Caruso is to see him turn into what the Lakers have with Steve Blake, where you know Blake is a much better pure point guard than than Caruso at this stage. He's a much better table setter, much better playmaker. And I think Caruso is a better defender than Blake was. Blake worked hard and he could be pesky, but I think Caruso is actually better than he was. But both of them have that commonality beyond being uh, little white guys with some interesting hair choices or interesting hair issues. Neither one of them were ever a threat to score. And, you know, at Steve Blake at times, you would watch him being like, dude, Put up a fucking Steve shot. Blake, Steve Blake was a like comparatively to Caruso was a much better offensive player. And like, but I, I think that gets to what you're getting know. with Caruso. I, I don't know, man. He he actually. I'm not. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. But like, keep talking. I'm mean, gonna like like Steve Blake had games where he scored and shot. And no, only against weird. the Lakers, not with the Lakers. Only against <laughs> against <laughs> the Lakers. He had, count, no, I, I'm talking about when they were with the Lakers specifically. Uh, yes, you are correct. When when Steve Blake was with the Clippers including the last game of the season where he had a triple-double, which I think gave the Lakers the idea to sign him because he had him against the Lakers, with the Blazers, with Denver. Yeah, he would score more. With the Lakers, he basically stopped shooting. Right. And he became somebody that you didn't need to guard. And I get concerned at times that that is going to be Caruso. 
because he he doesn't hit a lot of outside shots, but he also at times I think doesn't look enough to put up shots. Period. Like he needs to be accountable. Yeah, it's they, they. I think you look around the roster and they should be a better, more consistent three point shooting team this year than last year. But you know, I mean, a lot of like I think the, the what do you think about this? Because you know, there's been they talked about it on the broadcast tonight, and Vogel's talked about it, like the idea that you know. Look, Anthony Davis, you can get out there. You can take more. We only took two three-pointers tonight. The expectation is he's going to take more of them this year. He took about three and something last year. But that could bump up to you know four or five. If he takes more of them, um, you know, the the volume goes up. Does he hit them at 36%, 37%? Or does it go down to 31 or or 30%? Like that's a big deal. Like if it, more volume for Davis with threes, um, you know, how does that impact his percentage? LeBron's going to shoot a lot more threes this year. Gasol is going to take more threes than the centers took last year to the extent that he shoots. Um, you know, sure. So he, I mean, he stays on the floor for more right. than 12 minutes. Tonight, by the way, does not prove your theory because not only did Marc Gasol not take more threes than Dwight or JaVale, he didn't take he, any shots. He didn't take any shots. Um, <laughs> so again... <laughs> This this night did not prove your theory, but I agree with you. It did not. Um, this was not like we talked about. Schroeder, 14 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Pretty good debut. Montrez Harrell, 6 of 7 from the floor, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 17 points, 5 of 7 from the free throw line. Pretty good. Not a good debut for Marcus Hall. No. <laughs> not a good. Zero for zero, zero points. He did have a rebound. He did have an assist. He also had a turnover and five personal fouls. Uh, it is not it was not a good one for him, and not a great night for Wes Matthews, who also didn't score. So, you know, but like, what does Kuz do? He was one of three tonight. Not a great game. A couple buckets late that that didn't really matter. But he he wasn't particularly good. Um, so there are going to be moments where you you do still wonder where is the shooting going to come from. But like, go back to the Davis point, though. Uh, like, is it a good thing if he's taking more threes? Do you think, like, both for the offense and for him, for Anthony Davis? Yeah, yeah. You like I the think... idea of that jumping from three to five, basically? Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of Anthony Davis attacking from anywhere on the court because he can, and in a lot of ways, I think he should. Because if you really have to start worrying about him from out there, then I think it can open up a lot of different uh, options, not just for himself personally. Because if you, you know, you have to start figuring out, okay, how close do I actually guard him if he's going to be taking that type of shot? Because I know he can put the ball on the floor and he's becoming a better playmaker, you know, and he certainly is just capable of taking it straight to the uh, straight to the rack. You know, and also, too, I think it opens up options if he's somebody that from the high post you have to account for as a passer, that sort of thing. Like the more the more he screws with your head in terms of all the different things he can do, the better. And, and I don't worry about Anthony Davis becoming the version of Joel Embiid that I don't like, which is when he camps out along the line. And I think he's doing teams a favor because he's Joel Embiid is so much better around the rim than he is from outside. I mean, like, yeah, he can make those shots, but I feel like when Embiid is putting up threes, he is doing the opposition a favor. I don't feel the same way with Anthony Davis. Like, I, I think he's a better outside shooter, you know, w- regardless of what the raw stats are compared to each other. I've seen Anthony Davis make way more important outside shots than I've seen Joel Embiid do. You know, it just, I'm good with that. I don't want him taking like nine a game, but I'm good with him taking five a game. I think if, assuming he, assuming he's putting him up, uh, putting him down at a decent clip, I got no issues with that at all. Yeah, me neither. And I, I, I we, you know, in, we, in last night's show with Michael Pini talked about, you know, step back threes and other things. To me, like that is the difference. Between, and I, I love Joel Embiid. Like, and I love watching him play. I do think he needs to grow up a little bit. And you know, and, and if he 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 says a lot of the right things without actually doing those things. You know, by most reports, in terms of really the the next level stuff that you do to be to really truly be a superstar. Um, relies too much on his natural ability but yeah i think he does get too content to just sort of float on the perimeter falls in love with a three because he can hit them and And i think it's fun but it's different than like the swagger that ad has when he takes and makes threes he's a better shooter than Embiid. but like there's there is a swag that comes with his ability to do that stuff and then put the ball on the floor and attack 
that is important. So as long as the efficiency is reasonable, and it's going to go, even if it goes down a little bit, I think I do agree with you. I think it opens up other things that make him more effective. Well, there's also too, I, I think it plays into the interchangeability that LeBron and AD have together that Simmons and Embiid, using them as an example, don't have. I mean, there, there are more limitations that Embiid and especially Simmons have as players comparatively to LeBron and AD. So I think that I think that's a big difference. What, what else stood out to you tonight? In turn, I mean, like seeing seeing Dennis Schroeder not just you know set up team. I thought the twelve rebounds that to me is something that like would have had if there had actually been fans in that building is something that I think they would have picked up on and would have loved. Like there's something symbolic I think about uh, Schroeder and Harrell both getting double doubles in their debut but both of them hitting the glass. You know what I mean? Because you're like you're talking mm-hmm. about two guys that were the the winner and runner-up for six-man of the year. And with six-man of the year, you're always thinking about scoring first and foremost, which makes sense because that award is always given to a scorer off the bench. But seeing those two guys do things that weren't scoring, um, Montrez Harrell had a phenomenal pass from the high post hitting Kuzma. Yeah, that was a good one. That was spectacular. You know, both of them, I thought, really, really had very strong debuts, which, again, speaks to why I really think they should be playing Schroeder off the bench. And I think it matters. I really do. You know, I understand. I, I understand. Um, and, and, and they may eventually get to that place. Um, I, again, I, I, I don't think I haven't seen enough. Um, and I and I firmly believe you can tweak your rotations in a way that Ultimately, the 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 time on the he's gonna he's gonna probably play thirty to thirty five minutes sure. a night. Um, yeah. and you know, and it's just it's a matter of arranging them. This tonight, is the he, tonight he only played twenty eight, but it's it's just a matter of arranging them, and I think they'll get to that. But to to the other question you were asking, it was a little bit like for me, it was a little bit like the preseason where it didn't look whole and it didn't look complete, but you could see why the Lakers felt they needed to make the changes that they made in terms of adding the energy and the offense of Schroeder and, and Harrell. Um, and you could see what was different. Like, I, you know, we, we don't know yet where they are 71 more games from now, but you can see that they're different. You can see Harrell gives them something that they didn't have last year. They had offensive rebounding with JaVale and Dwight what they didn't have though was you know Harold for all of his size and activity can put the ball on the floor a little bit he can move around a little bit like there's stuff he can do that those guys couldn't as an offensive player he's not just go grab an offensive rebound slam it back home that there's more to his game than that and then obviously Schroeder is a much more talented offensive player than anybody the Lakers had in the backcourt last year and it's just it's it's plain and those differences are going to be really helpful for the Lakers over the course of the season, particularly as you've made, a, I think, a, a, a right point out of, particularly in the regular season. And uh, the, the, I, you can see where they're different. And I think those differences are improvements. We'll find out. But, you know, the other thing I would say to this, Andy, is if LeBron LeBron didn't have a great game, he was 7 of 17 from the floor. AD was okay, 18 points took needed 15 shots only took two free throws which i think is indicative of sort of the off nights for for davis when he's really on he takes you know eight nine ten free throws a game it's why i made him my my top draft pick in in my fantasy draft he didn't have that tonight the lakers didn't get the line very much tonight um like stuff like that i think is really going to be what drives wins and losses it ultimately still comes down to what did lebron and ad do and tonight they were okay but they weren't great and it's gonna, as a result, they didn't win. It's going to be interesting, and obviously, this is one game. And Frank Vogel has said that he's using these early games to, you know, a try to spell LeBron and AD uh, a few extra minutes if he can, not overtax them, but also figure out the combinations that work. He played eleven guys tonight mm-hmm. and gave eleven guys reasonable minutes. You know, I mean, every obviously everyone can't play twenty five minutes a night, but nobody, nobody in that eleven man YMCA. Right. I mean, nobody nobody in the 11-man rotation got fewer than 11 minutes. 
at some point, he's going to have to pare that down a bit. Even though Frank Vogel, by his own admission, loves playing a large rotation, 11 men is a lot. That's a lot of dudes to not just find space for on the floor, but find enough space where they can actually get a rhythm and, you know, and actually start playing off each other and building that, that synergy together. At some point, at minimum, it's going to have to go down to 10, which would, wow. again, still be a very big rotation. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how that shakes out. I think what happens is it looks a lot more like it did last last year where Troy Daniels goes two weeks without barely playing and then has a stretch of three games where he plays a, a lot, you know, relative to none. Um, you know, I, I think that's what you're going to see where like on any given night, it's down to nine or ten. But the ninth or tenth guy changes, you know, maybe Gasol. And also, too, some of this will be worked out naturally because LeBron's going to need a night off, second, first of sure. the night of a back to back. You know, AD is going to take a night off and all these other things. So there will be natural ways to work guys in and give them 20 minutes. You know, like I think THT is a great example of that. Like they want him to play. But figuring out how you play THT, but you also play Wes Matthews, but you also play Alex Caruso, but you all... Sure. It, it ain't easy. No, it's not easy. And, and and you're correct that there's going to be guys who in some ways serve as like a situational lefty for those type of uh, contexts that you're talking about where somebody needs a night off, you know, knock on wood, but it's inevitable COVID, things like that, you know, regular injuries. But at the end of the day, you still have to come up with rotation. It's going to be interesting to see what Frank Vogel does. Yeah, also, I, too, I, I just, I, but I don't. I think it's going to be. I think the act. You know, I, I, I not to jump on it, but I, I don't think it's going to be a classic rotation of you can expect these eight guys, these nine guys, these ten guys to play, and it's going to be like that every night. I think it's going to be like it was last year, where it was the Lakers did not have a set rotation. They didn't have a set fourth quarter. Uh, they didn't have a, a set fourth quarter lineup like they relative to most teams. The Lakers, I, I don't mixed, agree with that. No, I think they mixed and matched a lot last year in terms of lineup combinations. In terms, no, of but it was always the same. But it was largely the same people though. Like when Troy Daniels, who by the way you mentioned Troy Daniels, I want to point this out quick because this was a great part of the ring ceremony and a really mm -hmm. classy moment by the organization and Jeannie Bus specifically when she spoke spoke to you know nobody in the building unfortunately but spoke to the audience she mentioned uh the lakers that were not with the team and she included troy daniels and demarcus cousins who mm -hmm. obviously did not finish the season with the lakers that was great yeah i was really happy That's to see cool. that because both of those guys were very popular in that locker room very well liked and respected you know Obviously, didn't play a game like yeah. At least, you know, Troy Daniels suited up, right? And I just thought that was really cool. I, yeah. I I thought that was a really that that that's paying attention to the details in, in ways that really pay off. So I just I just wanted to bring that up for people who didn't actually mm -hmm. see Absolutely. the ceremony. Um, but it was but I, I understand, I understand your point. The man. same players, though, even if the combinations were different, Troy Daniels and Quinn Cook or Jared Dudley. Pretty much only played out of necessity. They did. They didn't play. Yeah, I, right. Frank Vogel was looking to keep them fresh. They there played. Were the, they there were. There were the occasional nights where those guys would play instead of you know Caruso, or they might you know KCP might play a few. A few. I understand what you're saying. My my larger point is the Lakers swapped out their lineups a lot. They didn't have a set fourth quarter lineup like many teams do. They didn't have a a every night this you know you where you can kind of predict save foul trouble that this guy's going to play probably 15 minutes this guy's going to play 18 like some of those things moved around a lot and Vogel was very liberal I think to the benefit of the team as we saw in the bubble with you know where they really started to do that like changing up lineups like to the point where like they had a different starting lineup every night like it, it you know all of that stuff played into how they were able to do it in the playoffs I just think you're going to see a lot of that this year, you know, and I, I, you know, in the beginning of the season, it will include more players. And as the season goes on, it probably will look like last year where the same nine or 10 guys play in different combinations. But I just, I think he's going to be, he's going to be experimenting a lot this year. They haven't had time to figure out how some of these new pieces fit together. Uh, you have, have to happen in the regular season. You mentioned you wanted to get into the Paul George post-game interview on TNT. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, most people I think have seen this if they've been following uh, the, the social media since the end of the game. Um, but, you know, Paul George sat down with uh, the TNT guys after the game. And I, I think to some, I'm sure he's answered this question about the chemistry thing and the the reports by people like uh, Jovan Buha at The Athletics talking about special treatment for Kawhi and Paul George and how that became a problem. Um, I don't think he was expecting to be asked that by Kenny Smith or <laughs> Charles Barkley at the end of this. So, like, I'm assuming he's answered this question before, but he seemed unprepared for it tonight. Asked the question, he kind of went into this thing of, you know, the guys, and again, if you if you have it, send it to us. Um, the guys who put in the time and put in the preparation, yeah, we get special treatment. And I think what he meant was like, you know, to get, and he said it even, to like to get to the level that we are, meaning the superstar level, the guys who are the max guys, the team, the best players in the team or whatever. Um, you know, those of us who put in the work and put in the time and to become what we are, you know, essentially, yes, we got special treatment. Um, it was one of the most awkward and bad answers to that question that I think you could have come up with. Because, I mean, Andy, you would agree. Nobody expects the superstars to be treated like the 11th guy, or the 12th guy, or 13th guy on the roster, correct? No. No. And, it, or should they? No, it they have to be held accountable mm -hmm. like this in the exact same way that the 11th or 12th man would be, because otherwise you can't take them seriously as franchise faces or leaders. Like that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. I think that is a big issue with James Harden. James Harden has gotten all of the star treatment without any accountability from Houston and power without accountability in any scenario, much less the NBA is a bad thing. It is a recipe for things going sideways. And that is essentially what people was the problem with the Clippers is that there wasn't enough accountability for what those guys were doing. Not that they were like tearing the team apart, like out you know, doing James Harden strip club stuff, but it just, you know, that, that it didn't, that it's one thing to have special treatment. It's another thing. You still got to fit the culture and you got to be the hardest working guys out there. You got to be the first in last out and all these other things and demonstrate um, to the rest of the team that, well, yeah, well, they were definitely last out I'm, when it came to uh post-game interviews. That's true. They were absolutely the last <laughs> man out. <laughs> I was not sure that's what they meant. Well, um, it, but it, like, so it was just, it was a very, it, it, George is not good at this. He's just not. And I understood what he was getting at, but it, even like he was sort of wrapping the towel around himself and kind of like, it's a simple answer. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, in, in the NBA, not everybody is treated exactly the same, but you know, we, and then he was like, but nobody's talking about like, it, it was an incredibly awkward moment. It actually started an argument between Kenny Smith and some of these other guys um, on the set of like, wait, what, what did like, it, like they were so surprised by his answer. And it, it gets to, I think, one of the lingering problems that we're going to see with um, the Clippers this year. <laughs> it's like, who agreed? Look at Steve Mason at 710 ESPN LA. He gets 300 vacation days a year. You know, that is true. He negotiated that into his contract. And he is, I think, the biggest star at 710. So that's why this happens. He is certainly one of the biggest stars, if nothing else. You know, but Ireland he, would do that, except he's a workaholic. He's addicted to work. He doesn't even want to take the days off. No. But it, you know, I think it gets to one of these things that you've been talking about with the Clippers and others have talked about. Like, the Lakers have LeBron. Like, LeBron can do all the really important talking for that team can be done by LeBron. AD is getting better at it. And you have supporting guys like Wes Matthews is a veteran and, you know, Gasol, who's a veteran, and guys who have won rings and all that kind of stuff. Now, they, you know, they all have, you know. The Clippers don't have that guy because it's not, you know, Kawhi, when he goes out and gives interviews, that's not really like, and George isn't good at it. And those are your two stars. And so to some degree, to whatever degree this becomes an issue, Doc did all of that last year. Well, I, I don't I, know I, if Kailu will or won't, but it is a, a thing where like sort of from a cultural standpoint, the two stars are not good spokesmen. I think it'll help having Serge Ibaka there.
because he's both a respected veteran and somebody who's won a championship and somebody who is very close to Kawhi Leonard. That's one of his best friends. Um, he's somebody that I think understands Kawhi extremely well. And and I don't mean this uh, to be denigrating, but I don't think Kawhi is an easy guy to understand. Um, that's just sort of his nature. I think it helps to have somebody like that. I think but his teammates in, like him, and it's like in terms it's, of it's public. not a matter of liking or not liking. It's a matter of just truly. I don't think he's an easy guy to get close to. Okay, or, yeah, that's fair. And he's not. I think an he is not a natural leader in the way leadership is often traditionally defined with front-facing athletes. That doesn't mean that he can't provide any type of leadership at all. But there are certain things that you expect from a franchise face like being that sort of public voice that just doesn't come naturally to Kawhi Leonard. He also, though, I mean, if you read a lot of the reporting that Jovan Buha did last year when he was covering the Clippers for The Athletic, this year he's now part of the Lakers coverage. But, you know, he he wasn't communicative enough with his own teammates. It's, it's one thing not to express a lot of stuff with media, but if you are kind of that much of a, you know, like a opaque presence with your teammates too, that can start becoming problematic, especially if it seems at times like you are absent or just not around for everything that happens, you know, reading from San Diego, right? Which I, I don't have an issue with it on its face. You know, I mean, if he's showing up on time, whatever he can a make, whatever I do, though. I, mean, I don't know why you would, I mean, I get it. That's where he's from, but that's a lot of driving. I mean, it's, it's what he wants. If he can make it work out, whatever, it seems weird as hell to me. It seems like a, you know what? Years ago, I mean, to put this in perspective, I had um, I used to wait tables at Chin Chin, and I had a manager. You know, not he didn't even own the place. He was a manager. You know, making manager money at Chin Chin, which I'm sure was you know not life changing money. He used to commute from San Diego. He used to commute to San Diego every day for that job. So wow. if he's willing to do that for Chin Chin manager. You know, God bless Kawhi. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's I fair. Mean, but but it comes down to, in a lot of ways, about accountability. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's an accountability. Part of that is doing the things that are uncomfortable for you mm-hmm. because you need to do it. Like, Kobe, over the course of his time as really the true face of the Lakers, I think he took on accountability and leadership by just starting to do the things that came less naturally to him when it came to relationships with his teammates because he began to discover these are the things that I have to do. It's not enough to just display Mamba mentality and outwork everybody. I need to reach these guys. And he got better at reaching them. He got better at it. Yeah, I mean, it was was never natural, I think, for him, but he got better at it. He got better at it because he started to realize I have to do it. And you know James Harden, there's account, you know, there's accountability that he needs to recognize. I have to do this if I'm going to be a star player. I think there are certain elements of leadership that Kawhi and Paul George are going to have to recognize they need to do as well. You know, it's 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 an interesting contrast when you have, you know, like Kyrie Irving tonight. I think reminded, you know, it's just a quick reminder. He hasn't played a lot. It's been like months since we've seen like KD look great. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, Happy to and see that. Kyrie, by the way, who also missed a lot of games with injury, listen to that and whatever. Also, reminder, oh yeah, you know, he's weird and he's, you know, he did the flat earth thing, which he says was a joke. And he in, he's doing the incense thing this year and the sage and like clearly going out of his way to make you believe and, and understand that he's a different guy. But he's really effing good. And, and oh, tonight with, with Brooklyn, we got a reminder of that. Um, but you know, the other TNT interview tonight was KD who basically was non-communicative with Charles Barkley and these guys. Um, and so you look around the league and it's, it's an interesting experiment this year and how much this stuff matters in, in terms of the forward facing stuff, because you're right. It is much more important how Kyrie and KD are accountable inside their own locker room. It is much more important as to how George and Kawhi are accountable inside their locker room. But a lot of the stuff that ends up inside the locker room is based on those forward facing things and like how, what ends up in the media, what, and and questions and stuff. And so you want an example? It becomes a good experiment. 
if you want a good example of it, we saw it with LeBron's first season with the Lakers when he was mm -hmm. very outwardly disconnected with the team, very openly lobbying for Anthony Davis to become his teammate, despite the fact that guys like Ingram and Lonzo, Kuz, Josh Hart, they're all just being hung out to dry and clearly bugged by it. You know, LeBron, his first season with the Lakers, I don't think was a particularly good leader for that organization. Second year, he was phenomenal. I think he's going to continue to be a phenomenal leader. And when LeBron is in that sort of mode and takes on every single facet of accountability, that means the world to your organization because he's the best player in the league. And he's you know, among the best players to ever play the game. So if he's taking on all forms of accountability, and this is the added bonus to somebody like Anthony Davis being comfortable holding LeBron accountable, there's just a trickle-down effect for the entire team. But, you know, you and I have talked about this for the last couple months, and we saw a reminder of it tonight. If the Clippers take all of the lessons that they should from last season, not really maximizing opportunities, and then just crapping the bed in the playoffs, they're going to be really good. They have a lot of talent. Yeah. They're going to be at the very least able to yeah. push the Lakers. It, it, it is, I think the Lakers are better, but... You know, let's say the Lakers are, you know, 60-40 over the Clippers. That's still reasonably tight. Like, you wouldn't get on an airplane if there was a 40% chance of it crashing. Like, you know, you're not doing that. You know, 60-40 is pretty tight. Let's say it's 70-30. You know, that that's not a walk for the Lakers, like in a, in a playoff series. I mean, that the the I and I I'm I'm I don't want the Clippers to be bad, and I realize that may be an unpopular position with some people on uh, who watch our show. I want it. I want the Clippers to be good because I want that Western Conference Finals, and I want it to be competitive, and I want it to be fun. And I, you know, the Clippers organization is filled with a lot of really good people. Um, I like Kawhi. I like watching Paul George play. I like Serge Ibaka. Like I like players on that team, and I it's it, I want them to be good. Um, and you know, I, I it, and they are, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a really good team. Um, I think the Lakers are better. I think they will prove to be better over the course of the year, but I mean, the gap isn't that big. No, I mean, between the Lakers and some of these other teams. No, not at all. I, and I, as somebody who said, it's pretty significant. It's not overwhelming. Like we can just not bother playing the rest of the year. Uh, so they play again Friday. That's the next game, Christmas. I'm really curious because we saw, you know, Kawhi at times ragdolling certain guys. Paul George obviously got loose. I'm going to be really interested to see just what they do against uh, Luka and mm -hmm. how they look to scheme against him because it's it's been a while since they've gone up against that guy. And yeah, you know, he's had some good games against the Lakers. Yeah, and I think he will again. I mean, they they struggled a little bit with Dallas last year, and um, it's it's no Porzingis yet, correct? He's not. I think he's working out like five on zero, but he won't be cleared by Christmas. Um, that makes obviously a huge difference with with playing the Mavs, who are another sneaky good team in the Western Conference. Like it's the Lakers, it's the Clippers. I think you can put the. Um, I think you put the uh, the 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 Nuggets in there and a, like eight really good teams. Porzingis is listed, by the way, really quickly as out for Wednesday uh, okay. for That's the right. Wednesday's game. Right. The Dallas's opener. I'm. It doesn't appear. I I've assumed he's going to be out for a while. I, I haven't. Yeah, I, I think he, like I, I read again. I, I had my fantasy draft the uh, Monday, and so I was looking through. All of these guys, like when is it safe to take Kristaps Porzingis? And when you take him off, like, you know, Hardaway has been sneaky good. Very curious to see what Josh Richardson looks like, whatever. But like just from a from a structural standpoint, obviously the, the Mavs are a much less threatening team offensively when Porzingis doesn't play and defensively for that matter. And so, you know, Luca with Porzingis with Hardaway Richardson and 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 Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleba or whoever else, Dwight Powell, whoever else they put in there, is a different deal than the four role guys with Luka. But I, I think they'll, you'll see LeBron on him. I think you'll see AD on him a lot. Um, I think they're just. I think it's one of those deals where you just throw a bunch of people at him. I'm not even. I, I'm not even sure the Lakers are that concerned about that stuff right now, though. Anyway, I, I think their first like 15, 20 games 
cliche as, as Frank Vogel makes it sound, it really is going to be we're focused on us and trying to figure out the best way for us to be operating. I think night to night, almost independent of their opponent. Um, I love Frank, and he's a prince of a person. He's a wonderful human being. 95% of what he says, he makes sound like a cliche. So in that sense, you are likely correct. Yeah, and except this one, I think he means it. And he lies. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, well, I mean, he's no different than any other coach. All yeah, coach. We, got, we got spoiled by Phil. We really yeah. got spoiled by Phil in that sense. Yeah, but like, I mean, all coaches lie. And Frank Vogel lies. He lies... Oh really nicely yes yeah i mean he lies does he lie or does he just omit truths no he lies when he says he doesn't know what the starting lineup is he absolutely no, he knows that's just frank vogel is like a super prepared do you think like 30 minutes before a game he's like oh, i'm not quite sure who's starting you know we'll, we'll we'll figure it out when the time comes no Come on, man. Uh, no, no, he knows who's starting. Uh, that, yeah. But he, li he lies about things. But in this one, I actually think he's he's telling the truth, and the cliche is true. The Lakers are really genuinely going to be more focused on themselves and just figuring out their own stuff over these first 15, 20 games than they are really concerned about individual. Not that they won't scout and prepare and have game plans, but you understand what I'm getting at. So yeah. I, I, I think it's – I we're going to be I, I, talking about this kind of stuff for, for three weeks we just are and like you know i wonder if they're going to start tinkering with this lineup or that lineup or who's going to start this, this is going to be at least a month of this before it seems like it's settled well, that's my guess tell you right now based on what i'm seeing in the chat based on what i'm seeing on the twitter the natives are going to get restless if it's just a month well, of tinkering. But, so here's the, but they won't as if they'll get restless if they're losing they lost tonight. I don't. I think twenty games are going to look up, and it's not Ryan, going to be firm. But there's still going to be. These have you met these people? Yeah, have you yeah. met these people. That's true. Come on. I, I think they're going to be. Now. If they're fourteen and six after twenty games, I think it'll that'll be okay. If they're ten and ten. Pitchforks. Yeah. Well, we'll see. At any rate, it was a, obviously a loss for the Lakers, but a really great night in terms of putting a bow on the championship. Uh, next game, Friday, Christmas, against the Mavericks. Um, actually, really looking forward to that one. Luke is always a lot of fun. Yeah, it should be fun. Reminder, delicious pizza, 20% off when you tell them the Cam Brothers sent you two locations, uh, and uh, West Adams and on Sunset in Hollywood, thanks to the folks at betonline.ag. Go gamble there. Like, if you're going to put money down, do it with the folks at betonline.ag. Uh, tomorrow night on the Late Night Happy Hour, uh, Rowan Nardcani uh, from Sports Illustrated wrote uh, just a fantastic uh, feature on Anthony Davis for their basketball preview issues. Wrote about Jimmy Butler. So we'll do just, again, more NBA tomorrow. Last show before 2020 is over. So we'll go out with a bang, and we will see everybody tomorrow night.